Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm the children's and youth minister here at our church. And while normally I work with our children and youth, today I have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. You know, uh, James has been going through this series called Praying with Greatness. And he's been taking us through some of the great prayers of the Old Testament. And this morning we're going to continue that series and we're going to talk about King Hezekiah. Particularly, we're going to talk about his prayer when he was at his most desperate time in his life. And so, in preparation for this message, I've been studying the word desperation. And I've read scripture passages about it, and I've read commentaries and books from famous authors, and I've been researching on the internet. And after all this studying, I came across the best image possible to describe the word desperation. They haven't won in over a hundred years, right? So, so that's desperate. Uh, you know, as you might know, I'm a Chicago White Sox fan, so of course it's my duty to get up here as a Sox fan and make fun of the Cubs. I couldn't let the sermon go by without it. So, and if the uh, Cubs and the Cards ever played in the playoffs, there's actually a chance I might root for the Cubs. And it sounds strange, but, you know, I'm from the Chicago area, and I grew up there, and I'm a diehard Chicago sports fan. And it's not that I have any negative feelings towards the Cardinals, but I also don't have any positive feelings towards the Cardinals. <laughs> you know, I've never even been to Bush Stadium before, but I have been to Wrigley Field. You know, this one time when I was younger, my dad took my brother and I to Wrigley Field. We were going to watch Sunday night baseball at Wrigley Field under the lights. And we were just so excited to go the whole ride there. I couldn't wait to see a ball game at a historic Wrigley Field with the lights on. We finally got to the park, and we got up to where you hand your tickets in. And our lady took the tickets, and she scanned them and handed them back to us. And I thought she was going to say, go on in and enjoy the game. But instead, she said, your tickets are fake. You can't get in. You had our tickets, and I thought it might be a joke. But sure enough, she was very stern, and she said, you're not allowed in. These tickets are fake. You've been scammed from whoever you bought them from. Well, I was just devastated. You know, as a little boy, my whole world seemed to revolve around this night and this game in the lights, Sunday night baseball, and all of a sudden, we weren't getting in. We figured we had drove that far. We might as well at least stay and eat dinner. And if you've ever been to Wrigley Field, they have these restaurants that are attached to the actual building of Wrigley Field, but they're open for the public. Anyone can come and go. You don't need a ticket. So we figured we would sit there and have a meal and watch the game on TV. And as we sat there, I was so disappointed. I desperately wanted to get inside and see what was going on, but instead I was watching it on this TV. And right behind the wall that the TV was hanging on, the actual event was going on. It just didn't seem right. And then as we sat there, this man walked over to our table. He was one of the custodians at the restaurant. And he walked over and he said, do you guys see that door over there? I'm going to walk over there in a minute and I'm going to unlock it. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to walk away. And when I do that, I want you and your brother and your dad to walk through that door and walk down the hallway. And before you know it, you'll be inside of Wrigley Field. I felt kind of strange about it because it sounded kind of illegal to me. But sure enough, he went over there, he unlocked the door, left it open, and walked away. 
So we went over to that door, and we tried to walk, but I'm sure we were running. We were little kids. We were very excited, but we were trying to act cool and not draw too much suspicion to ourselves. We got to the door and started walking down this long hallway, and I swear it felt like we were walking for an hour. I thought maybe this guy sent us down to some back alley in Chicago. Sure enough, as if I stepped through the portal of Narnia, there I was inside Wrigley Field, sold out crowd underneath the lights. One moment I was on the outside looking in, desperately trying to figure out how can I see this game in person. The next minute, I'm sitting in one of the first ten rows of the game and got to enjoy the whole rest of it. Now, we've all been through desperate kind of situations in our lives. Oftentimes, they're not as fun or lighthearted as needing to get into Wrigley Field, although you may have had that situation. But odds are, your desperate times have come from some of the worst moments in your life. They come when you get a medical report from your doctor, and the odds don't look good. Or you're looking at your finances for the month, and you realize things aren't quite adding up. I don't know how I'll be able to pay these bills. Or you're dealing with that same sin month after month, year after year, and you desperately want a way out. Or you have a big decision to make in your life. You need to know which path to choose, and you desperately want guidance from God. Well, today we're going to look at a story of a man who is in a desperate situation like this, our story begins in the book of 2 Kings. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. And if not, of course, we'll have the words up on the screen for you to follow along. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. You see, throughout the book of 1st and 2nd Kings, we have story after story of kings who didn't follow God. They were kings who decided to do things their own way. They wanted to do their will and not his. They worshiped false idols instead of God. And so finally we have a king who's willing to do things God's way. The Bible says that there was no one like him, whether before him or after him. That's how special King Hezekiah was for Judah. And at the same time this was going on, there's another king called King Sennacherib. And he was the king of Assyria. Now, Assyria was kind of the big dogs of the land at the time. They were much stronger and more powerful than everyone else. They had a much better military army. And so, as oftentimes people do when they're stronger than others, they begin to pick on weaker people. They begin to exert their will and their force over others and take what's not theirs. And so that's exactly what Assyria began to do. They began to take territory and land that didn't belong to them because they were stronger than anyone, and they began killing anyone that was in their way. And King Hezekiah knew that he and his people in Judah were in trouble because sooner or later they're going to come for them. This is kind of like the typical bully story in a school. You know, you have a person or a group of people who think they're much stronger than everyone else or oftentimes are much stronger than others. And so they begin to pick on other people who appear weaker. 
They begin to exert their force or their will over others. Now, I'm not making light of the bullying problem we have in our schools. Trust me, as a minister who works with children and youth, I know all too well the problems that it causes for them. But that is what's happening in our story. King Sennacherib and Assyria are much stronger than everyone else and can do what they want. And King Hezekiah begins to fear for his life. Sure enough, one day, King Sennacherib and the great Assyrian army begin to attack the outermost parts of Judah, which is King Hezekiah's territory. And fearing for his life and the lives of his people around them, he sends Assyria a letter. And that letter can be found in verse 14. So King Hezekiah of Judah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. King Hezekiah is saying that he's done wrong. The Bible just said that he was this great man of God, this follower of God who didn't do wrong, who did what God wanted, but he was so afraid for his life and for the lives of his people that he's willing to write a letter that says that he was wrong. And so he sends this letter saying he's wrong. Withdraw from me and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from King Hezekiah of, or King of Hezekiah of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasures of the royal palace. So our great man of God, King Hezekiah, when threatened by this bully, instead of standing up, he gives them his lunch money. And he gives in just like everyone else has before. And so our character appears to be weak, but in reality, he's doing what exactly we've done in our lives. We have a situation that comes up in our home or our school or our families, and we do what we all do. We find the simplest and quickest solution to the problem. We don't want to deal with all the extra baggage that goes with the problem, so we just come up with a quick solution to make it go away. It's kind of like when you injure your knee or your child injures her knee and you put a Band-Aid over it. The initial injury isn't that bad, but when you take that Band-Aid off, it's going to hurt a lot more. And that's what we do when we come up with these quick solutions. It makes the problem kind of go away for a little bit, but sooner or later, it's going to come back, and it's going to come back worse than before. And that's what ends up happening in Hezekiah's life. He was able to pay off the Assyrians for a little bit, and he began to become pretty confident in himself. I mean, after all, Assyria is this great nation that's more powerful than everyone and takes whatever they want. But when it came to taking his land, they didn't. And so he began to get pretty prideful and pretty proud of himself that he was able to withstand the Assyrian army by paying them off. And hearing of this confidence of his, the Assyrian army gets pretty upset. And they send another message to Hezekiah, but this time they say, we don't want your money, this time we're out for blood. And his message can be found in verse 19. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. He's saying you're acting so tough. You're acting like you're bigger than you are. When we both know if we go to war, you will lose. 
I am much stronger than you, my military is much better than you, and I'm coming for you, and I want blood. The message gets worse. Verse 23, Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. Did you pick up that he's making fun of them? He says, I'll give you 2,000 horses when we go to war. All you have to do is come up with 2,000 soldiers who are willing to ride those horses and fight against me. And the truth is that Hezekiah doesn't have 2,000 soldiers. He doesn't have that many people. That's how much of a power difference we have between the two nations. That would be like one of our stronger nations of today sending a message to a very small nation in our world saying, let's go to war, and to make it a fair fight, I'll give you 2,000 tanks if you can just put the soldiers in the tanks. But we know that that small country can't because they don't have the fighters. And so that is the moment that King Hezekiah finds himself in. He's desperate in his situation to figure out what will he do to save his people. He knows if he goes to war, he will lose because he's outnumbered. And so he fears for the lives of his people, but he also desperately fears for his own life. He knows that within time, he will die. And so finally, Hezekiah does what we've always been waiting for him to do. He finally goes to God in prayer in his desperate moment. And we find his prayer in chapter 19, starting in verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. He's saying, God, I need you. God, can't you hear me when I'm in my desperation? Can't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you care? Are you going to go to battle for me? Are you going to help me? Or will you leave me stranded here? Verse 17. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Help me, I'm helpless. Hezekiah, in his desperate moment, finally goes to God in prayer, learning that desperate times call for desperate prayers. You know, six months ago, I was in my doctor's office, and I was nervously waiting for my doctor to come in. And When he opened the door, he had that same friendly smile I had seen so many times. And I thought to myself, maybe there is good news. And as he came in, we shook hands and we sat down. We began to talk about my medical condition and the MRI I had a week ago. And as we talked, my worst fear became a reality. I was going to need my second back surgery in two years. Well, my whole world just fell on top of me. I left his office barely able to walk because of the pain it caused. And I got in my car and I cried the whole way home. I kept saying to God, how could you do this to me? 
I'm 27, and I'm going to have my second back surgery. What kind of life am I going to live? When, my kid, when I have kids in the future, will I be able to pick them up and play with them? If they fall asleep on the couch, can I move them to their bed? Or will I have to wake them up? That night, I laid in my bed, and I was in so much pain that I couldn't move. And I began thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I thought about how he was in his most desperate situation. Desperation is not a word we often pair with Jesus, but in the Garden, he was desperate. He knew what was coming in his future. He knew he was going to be brutally murdered and crucified. He knew he was going to have to take on the sin of the world. And he desperately wanted the Father to come up with a different way to save mankind. And the words of Jesus' prayer rang true in my mind when he said, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. And it was in that moment that I realized that our desperate times call for desperate prayers. And the good news is, God hears desperate prayers. When Hezekiah prayed his desperate prayer, God went into action for him. He sent an angel of the Lord to the Assyrian camp one night and slaughtered 180,000 men. Hearing this, King Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian army, fled in fear and was later killed by his own brother. And Hezekiah and, this, and uh, Judah were able to be saved. You know, I never had that back surgery six months ago. Little by little, day by day, God has my body and I stand before you this morning with no pain. You see, God can take a situation that seems impossible and he can turn it around in the blink of an eye. And we know that this morning there are many of you who are going through desperate times. Or perhaps you have a friend or a loved one who's in a desperate moment. Maybe your finances are not adding up and you desperately need more money. Or maybe you have that sin problem that you just can't get away from. And you desperately want God to help you out of it. Or you have a decision to make and you don't know which to choose. Or you have a loved one who's fallen away from the Lord. They've lost their way and you desperately want to see them come home. Or like me, maybe you got a medical report that doesn't look good. And the doctor says the odds are against you. Well, this morning we wanted to give you an opportunity to connect with God on a personal level. So we are going to ask that you spend the next few minutes going to God in your desperate times with your desperate prayers. Inside your bulletin, there's a sheet of paper where we encourage you to take notes throughout the sermon. And over the next few minutes, we're going to ask that you take that paper and write out your desperate prayer to God. Because just like God was patiently waiting for Hezekiah to turn to him in his desperate moment, God is with you this morning, and he's waiting for you to turn to him.